0: my relationship with God is what kept me going because the, the hope for a better tomorrow is possible with God because anything is possible with God. And so I was holding on to hope and also just thinking about other people. What, what can this do to help other people i'm suffering severe pain but look at look at paul who suffered severe pain and the people around him that benefited and so i know god can turn this into something good and the second time around i had hindsight from the first time so i knew i was going to see something in hindsight eventually i knew that there was good in suffering I didn't know what yet because I didn't feel it yet. And so it took a trust, a deeper trust in God, that God was doing something, even though he wasn't letting me in on the secret. He was cooking up something really good because that's what he does. And when you look in the Bible and you see people who have suffered, and then you look at what came afterward, there's good stuff that comes after suffering in all those situations. So I knew God is a good God and he's cooking up something really good because this is really hard and I can't wait to see what's on the other side. So I was just holding on to hope for that other side, for that hindsight.
1: Thank you for stopping by my podcast, Finding God in Our Pain. Welcome. Hi, I'm your host, Sherry Pilkington. In this podcast, you'll hear firsthand stories of how the God of the Holy Bible meets real people in their real pain. We look at the good God we profess through the lens of pain and suffering. I'm processing the most painful season of my life after unexpectedly losing Larry, my husband of 32 years. In my journey, I've discovered that there are many types of deaths. Maybe you've asked God. How could you let this happen? Why me? Where are you, God? Do you even care? What am I supposed to do with my life now? Here at Finding God in Our Pain, we don't shy away from the tough questions. I ask them to my guests. I share what I've experienced. We give real examples of how God shows up in the darkest, most painful situations in life. May the stories that you hear and the advice you receive encourage you to engage the heart of God about your painful places or memories or experiences or even your unmet expectations. Lean in close to God's heart because he speaks beautiful things in the dark. If you're dealing with an overwhelming pain, my guest Darcy Steiner has a testimony of encouragement. It's of an amazing resilience as she lived out the debilitating effects of complex regional pain syndrome, or CRPS. In her book, Beauty Beyond the Thorns, Darcy reveals how God cares for us in the deepest, darkest darkest valleys of life. What she shares can benefit anyone who is dealing with pain, and there just seems to be no way out. While we didn't discuss this in detail, if you're experiencing a crisis of mental health, emotional health, physical health, in addition to your faith journey, consider medical professionals and or medication per your doctor. Unrelenting pain can be a very lonely journey. So Darcy points you to the one who will never leave you nor forsake you. God is always present, always listening and ready to tend to you. CRPS is called the suicide disease because when ranked on a pain scale, CRPS is found to be the highest pain one can feel, hence the suicide disease label. People who know this level of unrelenting pain want to escape permanently, especially because they're told there is no cure. 20 years ago, a fall down the steps ignited Darcy's first experience with CRPS. The pain was so great that she did not have an appetite and became malnourished and was dying. Darcy shares a little bit about her story of being bedridden for two years and the healing journey she experienced. Yes, you heard that right, but God, right? Darcy did experience some healing, but what gripped my heart was that about five years ago, On a very special day for her family, the simple need of having to go back into the venue to grab something she forgot and a chair from a stack of chairs topples down and strikes her in the ankle. Immediately, the pain seared from the injury and Darcy knew she was headed back into CRPS. So at the time of this recording, she is living with CRPS once again. She talked about the difference in how she engages God's heart this time. Because of her vulnerability, we get a glimpse of a maturing faith forged in deep pain that produces an intimacy with God that cannot be developed in any other context. One of the ways that Darcy's faith matured is that while in God's word, she received revelation on the distinction between being and doing. Darcy's pain severely limited her ability to engage in some of the most simple things in life. At one point uh, of being bedridden for two years, Darcy was laying in bed and she asked her husband to create a tent over her with the bed sheet because when it touched her skin, it caused excruciating pain. So as she lay in bed day in and day out, she began to question the purpose of living. She couldn't do anything. She wasn't of any help. She couldn't enjoy her young daughters. Life was happening around her, but without her. Even today, she can only watch her grandchildren with assistance in short intervals. But in this quiet place of simply being with God, she discovers a whole new level of intimacy with him. The revelation that his only request for her, for any of us, is to simply be with him. A weight was lifted and she began to see the beauty of Christ's extravagant love for us in the humble posture of being. One last thing, and we'll jump into the conversation with Darcy. I especially loved how Darcy shares that in the dark valleys of life, God is there. And I know we've heard that a thousand times, but it's a great reminder that we don't have to go looking for him. We don't have to pray for him to find us and see us. We don't have to check off the good Christian checklist for him to show himself. He's already there. We simply need to engage him in faith and in the being. If you've been struggling with the thought that a good God would not have you suffer like this, I challenge you to reframe that with God is good because despite the pain of this life, the reality of it, he doesn't abandon or reject us. He enters into our pain with us. He comforts us, leads us into healing. He untangles our fears. In short, he gives us his very presence. Darcy was the absolute sweetest because despite her pain and my probing questions, she has such a deep desire in her heart to share an encouraging message with others who are experiencing unrelenting pain, whether it's in their mind, so mental health or body, physical health, heart, emotional health. Listen in because Darcy does a beautiful job of revealing the heart of God in the context of pain and suffering. Thank you for your time and energy today, Darcy. I'm blessed by what you have to share. So I know that my listeners are going to be too. And I think one of the most powerful things that we can do for someone is to let them know that they're not alone in their pain and suffering. A listener could have tuned in today because they want to hear more about your specific disorder. However, letting people see that God cares for us when we're in pain is encouragement for everyone because you and I both know that life has painful places, lonely journeys, And deep questions. So I'm glad you're here. Welcome to the show, Darcy.
0: Oh, thank you so much, Sherry. I'm so excited for our conversation. I love talking
1: about this subject. It just so many people need it. They do because the goodness of God in the midst of pain and suffering. And I know you and I spoke of this earlier. I don't associate pain with God, but He comes in and redefines it. So absolutely.
0: Yeah. He makes He can make pain beautiful. Mm. And that'll make more sense as we talk.
1: Yeah, it will. Give it some value and not just leave us there in it. So our conversation today is based on the book that you authored, Beauty Beyond the Thorns, which is your firsthand account of something that you've battled with 20 years ago and you're experiencing it again now. And that is a severe nerve pain disorder called Complex Regional Pain Syndrome, C-R-P-S. Can you tell us a little bit about this disorder? What causes it? Is there a cure? What does it feel like?
0: Yeah. So complex regional pain syndrome usually occurs after an injury, say to a limb, usually after a limb. So let's say you have surgery on an arm or something, and then you can't get rid of this pain. You've got this burning pain. And because surgeons cut through your nerves, you might get this disorder and you can't heal from it. And it's, it sends signals to your brain constantly. I'm in pain. I'm in pain. I'm in pain. I'm in pain. And it doesn't ever go away and there is no cure for it. And I don't mean to scare people because it doesn't happen that often, but sometimes it does. And sometimes it can occur for me. It occurred after a fall down the stairs and a back injury. And I didn't even know when this entered my body. There was no explanation no one could figure this out until after I was really recovering from it did I get a diagnosis so it's very hard to diagnose
1: yeah because it would seem like yes the injury you are in pain but then why is it so severe because 20 years ago when you first went through this it was so severe your appetite was gone and so now you're becoming malnourished which is deadly exactly How did you overcome that
0: Well, I'm laying in bed every day from this back injury. And I'm like, why aren't I healing like most people? When everybody else is like, why isn't she healing like most people? Because naturally you heal over time, but this pain spread to my feet. And so I was unable to walk and we got a commode, put it by the bedside for two years. I'm like this and I'm in such severe pain That my husband has to make a tent to put over me with the sheet because if the sheet were to touch my body, I would be screaming in pain. It would hurt so badly. And so, when you're in that much pain, you're not hungry and it hurts to eat. And I'm sure some listeners have been there. It just is hard to eat and you can't keep things down, you have no appetite. And you've kind of lost your will to live when you're in depression and that kind of thing. So, yeah, I was depressed for a lot of reasons and not hungry. And so, yes, I became malnourished in America. Mm.
1: (laughs) Because you couldn't find a doctor who could help you with that either. Is it because they hadn't diagnosed it? How come they could not turn around your malnutrition from liquids or
0: Yeah. You know, it's funny. Medical doctors don't really address diet. They weren't addressing diet because that's, that's not what they're trained to do. And so what happened was my counselor happened to also be a nutritionist. And so she saved the day when she asked me this question, she said, okay, Darcy, you've been to dozens and dozens and dozens of doctors what is it that, you know, you need to do that you can do that would help yourself? And I thought that was a really good question, you know, because we all have something we can do to help ourselves that we're not doing. Right.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And for me, the answer was eat. <laughs> I, I need to eat yeah. and I need to figure out how to eat. And so that question turned things around for me because Then I looked in a book, found a nutrition shake. I mean, I didn't know what to eat. It just, this is what I found that looked like something I could do, not make because I was bedridden, but I could ask my husband. So I did. And he started making it for me every day, every morning. And I had one of these every day and I was able to keep it down and I really worked at it. And I'll tell you, it's much easier to drink calories than to eat them. And this was a discovery that I made. Like no one told me that. God told me in my spirit, drink calories. That's what's going to help you. Mm. So these amino acids in in this protein shake are what really started affecting my body. I saw some uh, muscle forming where my muscles had atrophied. I saw my depression kind of turning around because amino acids in the protein help mood. So this protein shake was like magic
1: to my body. That's excellent. So that led you on a whole new journey as far as nutrition goes.
0: (laughs) Yes. Yes. I fell in love with the concept of amino acids because obviously they were saving my life. So what are amino acids? Well, they're building blocks of protein. And so I can geek out today on amino acids. It's it's funny. It's one of my things, but yes, I fell in love with nutrition and so as I gained strength, I sat up in bed for longer periods of time and what I read was nutrition. And so I I began a master's program in holistic nutrition, one that I could do from home. And it took me six years. But over time, I got stronger and could invest more time in it. And it saved my life. And I was able to go to pool therapy in a wheelchair, which was my next lifeline. And I learned to walk again in the water. Mm-hmm. So, I didn't walk on water, but I walked in the water (laughs) and it felt like to me I was walking on water. Right. Um, But that feeling of walking again, oh my gosh, I can't even tell you after two years of not walking and then watching myself put one foot in front of the other in the pool was just amazing. It was miraculous. So, I learned to walk in the water and then on land and i'm getting stronger because i'm eating i'm eating healthy yeah. now and so food is what is making the difference and this was not addressed by doctors it was addressed by that question and then my counselor was helping me with nutrition things and so i wanted to become like her i wanted to have this knowledge
2: yeah.
0: that not only could it save
1: my life but what about what could it do for other people do you think that the the way that you are given the body nutrition and the nutrients and the amino acids and you're building up the, is it the resilience, the immunity, all the above? How did the pain go away?
0: You know, that's a very good question. I'm glad you're addressing that because the pain didn't mm. go away. The pain subsided somewhat, but I went through all of this with pain because the pain of crps doesn't go away i mean there is no cure but i have to tell you after i earned my master's degree i was counseling nutritionally i opened a private practice and about a year after my pain disappeared and that is a miracle yeah That is a miracle, and I have to believe it's because of what I tell people is nutrition and pool therapy. This is what I preach. And most people don't listen. Most people schedule that next doctor appointment. I spoke with a woman yesterday for two and a half hours who found me online. She looked up CRPS Christian and she found me. And we talked for two and a half hours, and she's like, Do I? do this procedure or do I not and I'm like well you need to pray about that but I will tell you pool therapy and nutrition and she's like I'm 100 pounds overweight and I don't know if I have the discipline you know and I'm like pool therapy you just have to repeat it because it seems so simple
1: reminds me of the Chief officer, I can't remember now from which king he sends him to one of the prophets and they and it was at Elijah, and he says, Go dip yourself seven times. Yes. And he gets mad because I could have done that at home. you telling <laughs> me I come all the way out here to see you, and you tell me to dip myself seven times, and I'm gonna be anyway. His his officers then talk him into doing it, and he's healed from something yeah. that he felt was so simple, too simple to, to work.
0: Exactly. And it was in dirty water. Mm-hmm. He was led to dirty water, and he's like Why don't I go cleanse myself in clean water? Yeah. But it was dirty water. So that it just made no sense to him. Right. And so I, this is why I just, I'm like, I go to the pool for free. I'm on Medicare and I go to the pool for free and it's my lifeline. Mm -hmm. It's what, it's where I learned to walk again. It's where I get my exercise. I used to have two frozen shoulders because I walked with crutches for so long trying to walk. And so I tore my rotator cuffs, both of them. I I tore them. And so I have this pain too in my shoulders and I'm trying to get rid of that. Well, you know what helped that? Pool
1: therapy. Do you think it's because the resilient, the buoyancy and the water that lifts and then you're able to work the joints without Mm -hmm. the pressure maybe?
0: Exactly. the buoyancy yeah and you can just move slowly and it's different than a physical therapist working on you because when a physical therapist works on you they they push you right and they treat everyone like you've got to make some goals but with crps here's the thing you've got to have small incremental steps that lead to healing over time not these big steps like you got to bend your foot this way. No, it's small incremental steps and it can get so discouraging to people because it takes time. I mean, this last injury, I was injured f- over five years ago and I'm still, it, it just, I can't hardly walk. You know, yesterday I walked up the block, up two blocks and back. That's after five years. And so it's very slow, but if you don't do it, you won't make progress. Mm. And I think this can be true for not just CRPS, but for life. You know, we learn things by eating. So eating, if you make huge diets, diet plans, are they successful? No, usually you have to go on another diet because you gain the weight back. But if you make small changes over time, you're more likely to, to hold on to that and to sustain that.
1: That's such a good point, too, because even in the little bites, the little efforts that you make, you gain traction and then you get confidence like, OK, I've implemented this. I'm doing this. Let me add the next step to it. So that's pretty powerful in the small steps, mm-hmm. small stepping stone steps. To success. <laughs> 20 years ago, you were bedridden for two years after falling down the stairs in your home and almost lost your life because, as you said, when you're in that type of pain, you're not hungry. So then you become severely malnourished. Now, five years ago, at a very special event, in a, what I consider a freak accident, a chair fell from a stack of chairs, landing on your ankle in the exact spot where you had previously dealt with all this severe nerve pain in your feet. You shared that you'd had a miracle, you were healed. And you were enjoying a full life with your husband and your daughters. And then on a day that was very special to your heart, the simple need to grab something before you left became the beginning of your most recent setback with severe nerve pain. Yes. When I think about that, you're immediately in in excruciating pain. Mm -hmm. So you knew instantly what was transpiring. You're Mm -hmm. being familiar with this pain and knowing what was ahead. Did that help you or hurt you? Because you had seen how God got you through, but you were entering back into the type of pain that takes your appetite away, bringing you to the doorway of death. Was there anything helpful as you faced the next season of nerve pain? Oh, absolutely. There there was both hurt
0: and there was help.
2: Mm.
0: Number one, I survived this before. I could survive it again. And I survived it because of God. And just before I got injured, I I wasn't as close to God as I had been in previous seasons, especially when I was going through CRPS the first time. So I had strayed a little bit and I was helping my kids win scholarship money, you know, so I was very focused on money. I just was, you know, trying to pay for college. And I would go out and to pray on these prayer walks that I've always done. But then my mind would wander and it would always think about, okay, how do we strategize for the, my daughter to write her next essay? And so my mind would wander onto that instead of praying. And so I just I felt like I was straying from God. And so immediately I also felt like, he's calling me back. He's calling me back. And that's not a bad thing because of all the things that I learned, the benefits of being in a situation where you're so dependent on God that he becomes the most important thing. And what can be better than that? And that's, it's hard to say because you are sitting there also dealing with this excruciating pain. And it's like, why? I mean, I did ask the question, why again? Why? What didn't I learn the first time? Like, really? I almost died and you brought me out of this? Like you brought me through the promised land, through the wilderness and you delivered me. And then at my daughter's wedding, you bring me into the wilderness again. Yeah, that chair fell in the exact spot that I had the worst CRPS pain. Now, is that coincidental? I I don't think God causes pain to happen. Maybe Satan did that and wanted to take away my joy. But at the same time, I look at this and I'm still in the midst of it. I look at this as a gift a gift from God because God has worked
1: so much good in this time of suffering. I do have some specific questions about that. Like how can it be a gift? But before I move forward, I want to ask you this for this nerve pain to be reintroduced into your body, your life on such a memorable day, that seems pretty cruel. And as for Christians, like you said, we know that god didn't cause it but we can't deny that he didn't stop it and so were you mad at god mm-hmm. you said you were asking why was there anger in your why oh yeah yeah and it
0: started pretty much right away like on the way home from the wedding my daughter my my other daughter was in the back seat of the car and I'm like crying because I'm hurting so bad and I need ice and we need to go stop at 7-Eleven, the nearest place for something to help me with my pain. And I'm just reeling in pain. And my daughter in the back seat, she's like, can we not enjoy the fact that Jenny just got married? And Because yes, of mother's heart. yeah, huh? Of course, I wanted to rejoice that my mm-hmm. daughter just got married. And I want to not be crying for Nicole, who's sitting in the back seat. I want to so bad, but I can't. I can't because all I can think about is this pain because it's so bad. And my ankle wasn't broken. It felt broken. It felt shattered. But this is what CRPS is, is you feel so much more pain than what is actually going on in your body because your brain is just receiving pain signal after pain signal after pain. It's a cycle that doesn't stop. And when ranked on a pain scale, CRPS ranks the highest pain one can feel. That's why it's called the suicide disease. Mm -hmm. And yes, there were times I've wanted to die. You just don't know how you're going to make it to the next day. I want to live because I love my family and my friends. But I want to die because I don't know how to get through this today.
1: Because that's not a pain that you can just interrupt the thought on and then change the direction of the thought. This is a hammering, a jackhammering of pain. Yep. Oh, that's a great description. Yeah, I felt, you know,
0: the best description that I have of what it feels like for me to walk is I'm walking on corkscrews that's, that's the best description that I've been able to come up with. And so imagine every step, you know, having that corkscrew going up the middle of your foot. It it just, it's horrendous. And it's not just in my feet. I mean, I have it in my sides. I have it in my hands. I've had to stop playing the piano. I can type because when you type, your fingers aren't crossing over each other and you don't have to spread your your thumb and your pinky wide to reach the octave. Mm-hmm. I can't do that anymore. Mm. You know, so I've had to let go of a lot of things, but new things have been introduced into my life.
1: I don't want to forget that. I want to hear about that. Like, what have you lost? What have you gained? Kind of thing. But, and I know you said you want, you know, you wanted to live because of your family and your friends. But at some point, when the pain, when and phys- you had physical pain, but there's pain. I mean, people are battling various degrees of loss and uncertainty and they question whether or not it would be easier to just give up. So mm-hmm. at some point that family and the friends don't have the allure or the the holding power that it did when the pain is that high. Why stay in the fight for a better tomorrow? What kept you in it?
0: That's a great question. I've never had that question asked before, but I have to say, with God, there's always hope. My relationship with God is what kept me going. Because the the hope for a better tomorrow is possible with God, because anything is possible with God. And so I was holding on to hope. And Also, just thinking about other people, what what can this do to help other people? I'm suffering severe pain, but look look at Paul who suffered severe pain and the people around him that benefited. And so I know God can turn this into something good. And the second time around, I had hindsight from the first time. So I knew I was going to see something in hindsight, eventually. I knew that there was good in suffering. I didn't know what yet because I didn't feel it Mm -hmm. yet. And so it took a trust, a deeper trust in God, that God was doing something, even though he wasn't letting me in on the secret. He was cooking up something really good because that's what he does. And when you look in the Bible and you see people who have suffered and then you look at what came afterward, there's good stuff that comes after suffering in all those situations. So I knew God is a good God and he's cooking up something really good because this is really hard and I can't wait to see what's on the other side. So I was just holding on to hope for that other side,
1: for that hindsight. I think as Christians, we understand that God didn't leave us at Friday on the cross. He gave Mm. us Sunday. Mm. And I think that's one of the things that we know in our heart, that he's not going to leave us here. I'll be the first one to admit that sometimes he doesn't change our circumstances, but he never leaves us in it. Mm Mm-hmm. And when you're talking about doing something good, I'm going to backtrack and maybe tie that into what we were talking about. What did you gain? What did you lose? So mm-hmm. you had mentioned that pain is being a gift. Why would you say something so awful is a gift? You know, it just doesn't make sense.
0: It it makes no sense. And I know you understand this because of your own suffering experience, but I started seeing. God in different ways and gifts that he was giving me for instance in my first suffering disability I saw it in my daughter my oldest daughter I saw it in both daughters but this particular story is just about one of them I saw the gift of compassion because when she was a third grader we got a phone call from the school Jenny forgot her lunch can you bring it over Of course, I can't drive, but Mark was home and he found her lunch by the front door. She forgot to grab it and he brings it to the school and Jenny is out at recess. So she had missed lunch and he couldn't find her, you know, as he's walking up to the school, he's looking on the playground. Where's Jenny? And she wasn't swinging on the monkey bars or the swings. And he found her on the blacktop and she was twirling a boy around who was in a wheelchair. And his heart, he was like, oh my gosh, this is having a positive impact on what we want our daughters to learn and to know. And we learned later that this was a regular occurrence of Jenny, that she played with this boy who was marginalized. If that isn't a gift in suffering, I don't know what is. Because we wanted our our children to be compassionate children. Mm. And to not marginalize people, but to draw them in Mm. and to love deeply. And we couldn't have taught our kids that as deeply as God did by allowing them to have a disabled mother.
2: Mm.
0: That is a gift. It is a gift. So the gift of compassion, the gift of perseverance, you know, you wonder how am I going to get through to the next day? And then you do. Well, how did you get through to the next day? God sustained me. God gave me what I needed. He enabled me somehow to get through to the next day. That's a gift, a gift of perseverance, a gift of gratitude. When you are suffering and then you're able to do something like take a step into the bathroom, you are grateful for that step. And I would watch people behind our house we have a trail and i would watch people and i would be sulking because i would use, i used to be one of those people that walked that trail and i couldn't anymore so at first i was angry i'm like you know why are you making me sit here watching all these people walk just angry at god and then i was like i wonder if any of those people are even grateful for any step that they're taking and I take a step into the bathroom and I have deep gratitude. And I'm like, wait a minute. I have something they don't. I felt like I'd be so grateful if I could pick up the dog do in the backyard. Can you just let me pick up the dog <laughs> do in the backyard? <laughs> Give and me the I dog do no one else would be praying that. Right. You know, yes. and so this profound gratitude. There's that so is a
1: yeah. yeah, that for, for simple things that we take for granted. Yep. Yeah, gratitude, compassion, perseverance. And I know a lot of times when you're in the middle of it, you can't really see what God is doing. Can mm-hmm. you think of anything specific? Like, did he bring worship music to your mind? Did he plant revelation in your heart? Did he bring scripture? Did you speak scripture? In what ways, tangible ways, do you think? he was getting you through to the next day, just his presence. I know for me, some days it was simply his presence that got me to the next day.
0: Yeah. I have a story. So my hands, I haven't talked much about my hands, but there was one night when we went to the emergency room and the emergency doctors weren't going to let me stay. My hands, I, I was transferring my body with my hands to the toilet to the to the chair to the bed back to the wheelchair and my hands just gave out mm-hmm. and inflamed like burning mm-hmm. just burning with nerve pain and so that's going on in my hands and my feet i can't stand right so i go to the emergency room they have to lift me out of the car which they're not happy about mm-hmm. They're not going to admit me into the hospital. And I'm like, what am I supposed to do? Like, I can't stand. I can't use my hands. What am I supposed to do? And so Mark and I began to sing. Mark's like, let's just sing because singing brings me comfort. Mm -hmm. So we started singing worship songs. And suddenly they come back in and they're like, The doctor decided to admit you. Mm -hmm. So that happened. So I Mm -hmm. stayed one night. I had a good night's sleep. Mark had a reprieve. He needed a break from me bad. Right, yeah. (laughs) He just really did. So the next night, I'm begging Mark, take me back to the emergency room. I'm Mm -hmm. in so much pain. I don't know what to do. And I'm crying and I'm looking at the picture of Jesus on our wall and he's in the garden of gethsemane and i felt like my hands were pierced and my feet were pierced wow. and i felt like i was on the cross mm. and so i got this message from god like mark still needs a break mm. so i said can you just help me get to the recliner and so he laid me back in the recliner and i said just go i'm just going to spend time with god And I'm crying, I'm crying, I'm crying. And so he leaves and he's got the phone there. If I need him, I can get a hold of him. And the whole evening, this is what happened, Sherry. I cried and I prayed. And then these memory verses came to mind. Now, memory verses from a long time ago that I had forgotten came to mind. So I repeated them. And then I prayed and then more memory verses came to mind. And it was as if God was answering me, I would pray and then he'd answer me with these verses and I'd pray and he'd answer me with these verses. It was such a unique, one of a kind, interactive relationship with God. I'd never experienced anything like it and I haven't since. But it was a night where I felt so over the top in pain. And I decided I want to be alone with God. And I had this experience with Him that I can't, I mean, I can describe it and I think it sounds beautiful. But to be within that was even more beautiful because it was like, I don't even remember those verses. How did they
1: come to mind? it had to have been God. Mm -hmm. The word does not return void. So that whole, when we're reading it, it's being imprinted on Mm -hmm. our memory. And then God brings them back at a time like this. That's so beautiful. It really is beautiful. And I think about the intimate times that I had with God, just places of total isolation and only his input or presence could have made a difference. And I think I wonder if that's what God the Father did for Jesus the Son, in those mm. intimate moments before the cross, during the cross, was just His presence with Him, and bringing because,
0: those verses to mind. Maybe because He spoke the verses that David had
1: written. Right.
2: It's true.
1: Oh, Sherry. Yeah. Wow. And that's what God does for us now when we're in our painful places is that God meets us in that. He interrupts that. He pierces that. He reaches the places that nobody else can reach Mm -hmm. because nobody could bring my husband back. Nobody can make your pain stop. Right. God meets us in it and just gives us the beauty of his presence. Yeah. Something else you expressed in an earlier conversation. I think it was when you and I were talking about having this uh, podcast episode, but you were outlining the book of Matthew and you begin to take notice of the do's, the do nots and the bees. How yes. did this provide encouragement for you in this season, this, this time? That yeah. I, now that you're dealing with CRPS the second time. Mm-hmm.
0: Yes. So when I didn't know for sure, I mean, I, I suspected it was CRPS, but you know, all the podiatrists are saying, you know, this might be a sprained ankle. This might be plantar fasciitis. Most, most podiatrists thought it was plantar fasciitis. So I'm thinking, okay, six weeks off my foot. That's not good for my bone mass. Right. But I decided, okay, I'm just going to start over. I'm just going to start over and start reading the gospels. And I'm going to begin with the first one, Matthew. Right. And so I'm reading Matthew and I'm seeing all these do nots. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth. Do not worry about your life. Like it just goes on and on and on. And so I'm seeing all these do nots and I'm like, well, what about the do's? I'm not seeing any do's like do this. And I'm a doer, right? I'm a doer. There's a lot of doers. What are we supposed to do? I know what not to do, but what do we do? And these are the do's. Do to others what you would have them do to you. What you did for one of the least of these you did for me. Mm -hmm. And then it doesn't say do's on these, but clothe the poor, feed the hungry, look after the sick, sell your possessions and give to the poor. Take care of widows and orphans, visit those in prison. Those are dues, right? Okay. Those aren't the dues that I do. I don't visit those in prison. I don't take care of orphans and widows, right? But I'm reading this like, oh my gosh, my dues are not these dues. <laughs> and they're all relational. Do you notice that? No, no they're I hadn't thought about relational. that. No. Yeah, funny. they're Relational because Jesus God is a relational God. Mm. So he wants us to take care of people in our doing, right And then there's the bees okay then when I got to the bees I was so excited like I have this on a on a big sheet, you know it's it's outlined the whole book of Matthew I outlined and I've got the bees, okay, be on your guard against men be afraid of the one who can destroy both body and soul be joyful in hope patient in affliction be reconciled to your brother be kind and compassionate be careful not to do your acts of righteousness to be seen be shrewd as snakes innocent as doves be hospitable so there's the bees and i was like I can't do right now, but I can be. I can be. And it gave me so much reassurance that in stillness, when I can't be busy doing stuff, I can be. And that's what God wants me to be. And so I just started focusing on being being close to God, being kind and compassionate and being what God wanted me to be, what he was forming me to be. I'm in formation. I'm in the fire. He's doing the doing. Yeah. I just have to be and see what he's going to do with this being. He's calling me to be right now. So I don't know if any of that makes sense. All of this I'm putting in a book for a future book after the two that I'm writing right now. (laughs) I need to live a lot longer.
1: (laughs) You do. And I want to hear more of that broken down too. So I'm looking forward to that book. That's going to be uh, quite the tool to look at those differences. And the fact that you can still be, even when Mm -hmm. you can't do is still that's God's value system. Because like you said, he is a God of relationship. I think a lot of times we miss the being part with God because it's, the doing that is born out of the being. A lot of my doing without the being with God, I end up doing on my own, my own power, my own strength, my own goals, what I thought he would have said or what I thought he said, but I didn't slow down enough to listen to what he said. And so there's a lot of power in just be with God.
0: Oh my gosh. And once I realized that, it was like, okay, I'm starting to see and we're going to get through this because I felt like I'm on this adventure with God. I'm on this treasure hunt. He's starting to show me that I'm doing things all wrong. Like I, I do. I just need to start over and I just need to learn to be still, mm-hmm. just be and let him do. And then the do nots. Yeah, there's a ton ton of them in Matthew yeah. like go through your Bibles and just look for the do's the be'es and the do nots and you're not going to find very many dos and
1: that was remarkable to me that is remarkable and even the do nots are for your wisdom and your protection mm-hmm. so there's value in do not
0: <laughs> yeah there's there's guidelines there's protection there's much wisdom in the do nots the do's and the do nots are a part of obedience the bees are a part of grace mm, so great. there's we need both obedience and grace mm. we can live in both but the do nots are a part of our obedience to god he's telling us how we can obey him and how not to get into trouble mm. like do not hate your brother do not murder okay i I'm, I'm good yeah. i'm good like that's helpful guidance god thank you So there's, there's guidance in that he's helping me to obey him. He's giving me the tools
1: that I need to to be in obedience to him. That's so good. All we have to offer God is obedience, our praise, our worship, but our obedience. And that Mm -hmm. it might seem like a small offering, but nonetheless, God does amazing things with small offerings. Amen. Why do you think in your personal opinion? when life is flipped upside down from what we imagined or expected thought it would or should be why some people turn to God and some people turn away.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That one, people have asked me that quite a bit. Why, why didn't you turn away from God? Why do you still believe in God? You know, when, a full decade of my life i've struggled to walk a fifth of my life i've struggled to walk and in the other decades i've had chronic pain except you know when i was a kid um i can only answer for myself i think and there's a difference between anger and bitterness i think anger is a part of grieving and it's healthy. We have to go through it. But the thing is, is we, we can't push it away. We have to go through it. We have to face it and embrace it and go through it. So we can get to the other side quicker. If we just stiff arm it and push it away and don't go through it. I think that's where bitterness comes is I'm so angry and I'm just bitter. I'm just holding on to this. And that we're holding on to bitterness and anger instead of holding on to God. But I think we have to embrace the anger to get to the other side so that we can see God because he is there on the other side of that anger. Anger is a natural emotion that he gave us. And so we can't be afraid of it. I think as Christians, sometimes we feel like, well, I'm a Christian. I can't be angry at God. Well, yeah, you can. And you should so that you can get beyond it,
1: right?
0: So that you can be joyful in the Lord too. But it's a natural part of grieving. When we lose something, when we lose your spouse, like you did, when you lose your health, like I did, when you lose a job, whatever loss you have, it's natural. God gave us this grieving process to go through. So it's okay. It's okay to be angry at God. Let yourself be angry at him so you can get to the other
1: side. It reminds me of Job when he was struggling with what was happening in his life and talking to his God. And in the end, God calls him righteous I often think that the reason God called him righteous is because he wasn't out in the street talking about God, or when he was having conversations with God, he wasn't talking at God, but yet he continually talked to God. He was authentic, he was transparent. When mm-hmm. the pain moved from external to internal, to fit, you know, from physical, it took on all, in my opinion, all the facets of how pain can resonate in the human body and the human experience. And yet he never turned on God, but he was mad, you know, and he showed his anger to the point where the Lord said, well, now tell me, Joe, where were you when I created the world? Exactly. <laughs> and so I think you're to your point. It's if you're authentic with God. You're talking to Jesus. You're pouring out your pain because even in my pain, God was very patient in the sense that he didn't shame me. He didn't reject me. He wasn't, didn't make me feel guilty. None of that. He just received what I had to say. And I say received because it's like it evaporated. Like you're Mm. saying, you got to get it out. And when I got it out, it just seemed to like purge, I guess is the best way. Mm. So I love what you're pointing out right here. The importance of processing with the Lord yeah when walking through the loss of the life that you knew becoming limited in so many ways when i think about the physical limitations the like cuz i remember at one point part of your book says you're laying in bed and you're hearing your children play in the house and they're talking to their dad your husband mm-hmm. and you you've got to listen to that and so i just think about what daggers they were every time you or laying in the bed and you're having to hear life go on around you, but not with you. You had mentioned that you went from rubbing the genie bottle, asking for things to leaning on his quiet ways. What has changed about your posture before the Lord?
0: When I felt like I was rubbing the genie bottle and just, you know, give me this, give me that, fix this, do that. I was like, this isn't prayer. This this isn't what and, and it felt like that's all I know how to do right now. So I stopped. I just stopped praying. And Well, it wasn't really prayer, but I felt like I couldn't. I didn't want to just rub the genie bottle. I needed a reset, a reboot. And so I just stopped. <laughs> and I think it was healthy. And that might seem counterintuitive. And I hope I'm not saying something wrong, God.
1: <laughs> I don't think but, you are. I understand what you're saying.
0: Okay, so I needed this reboot for myself. And then when I came back, I felt like more relational with God. Like my life was prayer. What I did and did not do and the bees. I felt like that was an offering to God that was really prayer. It wasn't just saying the words, it was living the life. It was embracing him in our relationship together because my safe place was in his arms. And so I felt like we're doing this together and we're not separated. It wasn't like me praying to him. It was like me praying to him, like we're we're interconnected here it just was different than i had ever experienced before i felt like his spirit you know his spirit is within us if we're believers mm-hmm. and so he's already in us and so to to be offering words to him can be empty but to be offering something like i would wake up every morning and i would say and i still do this i'm i'm like I'm willing to go anywhere, do anything. I just need you to enable me.
2: Mm.
0: And so the things that he calls me to, he enables me. And I trust that. And I have finally felt like God loves me. I think it's hard sometimes to feel like God loves me individually. As a person, you know, there's so many people on earth. How could he love me, you know, personally? And I felt like I would not understand this without this physical suffering. I sincerely believe I would still be stuck had I not gone through this suffering that God loves me intimately as me. He's made me, me, and he has a special mission that he's calling me to. And he's enabling it for me, but I'm not doing it. His spirit is doing it. We're doing it like this. And so my prayer is always, I'm I'm always praying to him throughout the day, not just in words, but by my life that I'm living. My life is a prayer offering, just like sacrificing animals in the Old Testament, an offering to God. Our prayers are, are worshiping him. It's living a life of prayer. That's what's different than rubbing a genie bottle. I hope that makes sense.
1: It does. You're living a life of relationship. Yeah. And I think what a beautiful thing that is to discover in the midst of a journey that seems very lonely, but to find that he can meet you there, that he does meet you there and that he's what makes the difference in this place. Where nobody else can reach. I know your husband would have changed that situation if he could. Your daughters would have changed it if they could, but they cannot reach it. They cannot change it. But God meets you in it.
0: The key word is lonely. I th- I think you touched on it there, Sherry, because I was very lonely. I felt like no one can meet me in this place except God. And so because of that, I had to rely on him. And he's the only one that was there and so that's where that embracing mm-hmm. came he was always there it's just i wasn't i wasn't willing to go to those darker deeper lonelier places but he is there he is in the dark we often think he's just in the light he's everywhere god is cons- he's everywhere we just need to be willing to go meet him where he's at and if he if If it's in loneliness, he is there.
1: You were hinting to this a little bit earlier in our conversation. In your book, Beauty Beyond the Thorns, part of the book description explains that the message of the book is how God works to heal our brokenness. And I wanted to hear your thoughts on that because you could have said heals our sickness. You could have said heals our loneliness. Why choose the word brokenness over any other word, sickness, loneliness?
0: I think brokenness is all encompassing. I think all of us are broken at some point in our lives, no matter what it is. And I think if you've really suffered, you can relate to other kinds of suffering. You know, like you and me, this conversation, I can tell you've gone through deep suffering because of the questions that you're asking, because of the conversation we're having. Our suffering is different. We've both been broken. And when there's brokenness, there's a community of people that can relate no matter what that suffering is. And suffering is brokenness. Mm. And so I, I use the word brokenness a lot. I used it yesterday in my newsletter. You know, I talked about being broken. And but when we're broken, we can also be put back together. And that's what God offers. You know, he puts us together in a different way. We have to be broken down, but he puts us together in a different way, a different way than we imagine, but a way of his choosing for his will. Mm -hmm. So that's why I use that word. Brokenness.
1: It also reminds me of something else and I'm just curious to know your experience, because it could be my own personality, the way I interpreted my pain. But I was curious to know if it happened to you. When you ended up in this place of pain that takes your breath away and you begin to question God and you're mad at God, you've got the why questions. Did you find that Satan takes any sort of past experience, negative things, and then he uses it to drive a wedge between you and God? So he presents it at the time that now you're suffering again. So I guess what I'm trying to say is, Did you experience Satan trying to bring back old, painful places to say, hey, look what God does. This is the God you profess. That's how I think he tries to drive a wedge between us and God and truth and Mm -hmm. healing. Mm -hmm. Did you find that that kind of complicated things for you? Currently. Currently.
0: Currently. I mean, so what I went through the first time was the wedge was right in the middle of my family, right? Mm -hmm. It was my children and my husband and my husband was trying to figure out how do I go forward with these two little girls and without my wife and my kids are reaching for me and I can't hold them because I'm hurting. I can't bear the weight of a sheet, let alone a child jumping on my lap. So there was that. Currently, I have two grandchildren who I can't watch alone. You know what that, what that does to a grandma's heart? I can't drive them anywhere. I can't take them anywhere. I can't watch them by myself. I'm limited in how much I can hold them, walk around with them. And I'm like, Satan, as if it wasn't enough the first time. And I, I believe he's doing that again and making me at first, I was like, really, I have to deal with this. When my grandchildren are born, the same thing, same kind of separation. What is it about me and little children that mean a lot to me Mm -hmm. that you have to drive this wedge? So currently I am going through that and feel the spiritual battle that Satan's trying to put that on God. Well, God allowed this. Yeah, God allowed it. But there's going to be something beautiful that comes from this. And like I said before, with my daughter, Jenny, my grandchildren are learning deep compassion because their grandma is in a wheelchair, Mm -hmm. but they get to ride with me in a wheelchair, which is fun, right? But yeah, I do feel the spiritual battle Mm -hmm. every day. And with this book, he tries to prevent me from getting the word out that there is good that comes from suffering. Mm. He doesn't want, he doesn't want people to believe
1: that or to Mm. know that. How do you take those thoughts captive? How do you interrupt that way of thinking or how do you overcome that spiritual attack?
0: Yeah. It's just awareness every day that I'm in a spiritual battle and I am on the forefront of speaking out about There are gifts in suffering. There is beauty beyond the thorns. And his name is Jesus. Mm. Satan doesn't like that. But you know what? I'm doing it anyway Mm -hmm. because my God is bigger than Satan. And people need to hear this message because I have people reaching out that are hurting, that don't know these things, that don't know that there's beauty within suffering. And I don't know if my pain will ever go away. But I am a voice and Satan does not like that. And I can give you more stories of what he does and what he did in our Bible study. And someone turned on me when this Bible study was going awesome. And so I'm very aware that if I'm going to be a voice for the Lord, he's going to interrupt it. And, but God, I trust God that he's going to put me on track and he's not going to let me go through anything that isn't going to help advance the gospel even more
1: because that's the way God works. It reminds me why all of the disciples died for what they knew to be true. Yep. They didn't die for what they thought was true. They didn't die for somebody they thought might be the Messiah. They died for the truth, meaning that sharing in the sufferings of Christ looks like what you're going through as far as putting the gospel out, learning what you learned about God in those very dark places, dark valleys, and finding the beauty, the light in the midst of it, and then turning around and taking part of somebody else's healing, or at least offering them a way to find the light and the healing that God does offer us. I think that's a beautiful thing. What is your hope today in this season?
0: To glorify God mm-hmm. no matter where he has me.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I just want I just want people to know him. I want him to be glorified in whatever it is that he calls me to do. Mm-hmm. And
1: that's what I want. I just want to bring him glory. Is there anything that I have not asked you about? that you want to share before we part?
0: I just want to encourage your listeners just to never give up hope. Hold on and read your Bible and look at Joseph. Look at Job. Look at Hannah. Look at Hagar. Look at all these people who have suffered and how God brought them through to the other side. There's something beautiful on the other side for you. So never give up hope. The way to hold on to him is through his word and through prayer. That's my encouragement.
1: Beautiful encouragement. Before we part, because our time is coming to an end, tell us a little bit about your book. It is a collection of stories, your firsthand experiences, that tell us what about the heart of God?
0: So my book it's my it's kind of like a memoir but it has suffering stories, healing stories intermingled. So woven throughout my stories are biblical stories that make the word more relevant that show that God's working in the same way today that he did in the old and new testaments.
2: Mm.
0: And so there's stories of gifts. I outline 30 gifts. That I have discovered in suffering. And we touched on some of them compassion, perseverance. So, my husband wrote one chapter about being a caregiver. And the rest are just these other gifts that I have found, like on a treasure hunt. And the story is kind of climbing up Long's Peak. So, from my backyard, I can see Long's Peak. And so, it's like, Going up Long's Peak and discovering these gifts and making it to the top of the mountain where I have this clear view and I can see the beauty beyond the thorns, but going up the mountain's hard, right? But when I look out, I see the beauty and that beauty
1: is Jesus. It's the whole climbing uphill. Yeah. It's difficult, but mm-hmm. it's the way up. The mm-hmm. way that has the way through, right? Yeah, and the way through till you get to the top and you see with clarity, mm-hmm. yeah, a beautiful view. Mm-hmm. And in our case, the face of the father, or at least experience his presence. Mm. That's a good thing. Last question If our listeners only remember one thing, what do you want them to remember?
0: That beauty can be found within suffering they aren't mutually exclusive you can have joy in the midst of having crps i'm a testimony to that i never thought that i'd be able to say that in the beginning but i experienced joy and so you can have pain but you can have joy too
1: I'm just struck by the, the power of the presence of God to bring joy in the midst of something, in my opinion, very traumatic. Mm -hmm. The beauty of Christ in everyday life. Yep. Well, you have been a wealth of information and encouragement, and I deeply appreciate you, Darcy. Thank you so very, very much.
0: Thank you, Sherry. This has been a great conversation. Your your questions are awesome. I enjoyed it so much.
1: I'm glad you did. That's rewarding for me that you enjoyed it. You didn't feel like you were being raked over the coals. <laughs> no, it was awesome. Okay, <laughs> <All right>, great. <laughs>